Treated the entire chapter last Lord's Day, but I want to go back and and look at a particular portion of Scripture out of this chapter, and it's um, really verses eight through eighteen. But before I read that, I want to take you to verse number seventeen and show you the place that I was talking about this morning when I made mention of the goodness of God. In verse number 17, it says that, Nevertheless, He, that is God, left not Himself without witness, in that He did good. We talked about the goodness of God this morning. God is good. God has done great things. And He's been so good unto us that it, it's, it's impossible for us to thank Him for everything. I mean, you could, you could get up in the morning and you could sit and you could read His Word and focus your thoughts upon God and upon His goodness that He has shown you in this life. And not, not just through your experiences, though that would be the thing that we probably would think about the most. And certainly we ought to but just in his, you know, you almost want to use the word ordinary, but there's nothing ordinary about it. Um, you know, I almost want to say ordinary goodness, but it's not ordinary. I'm talking about the goodness of God and what we read here and that he's given us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and he's filled our hearts with food and gladness, it says. God, he's, he's filled us. Anytime you've opened your mouth and you've sought God, He has filled you. He has supplied your need. He has not left you without. He's been good unto you. And that's what we're talking about this morning. But in reading our text in verses 8 through 18, I don't want to leave out verse number 7 because verse number 7 is the cause for the effect of verses 8 through 18. The reason what happens in verses 8 through 18 is because of what has happened in verse number 7. Verse number 7 says that there, that is in uh, Lyconia, Paul and Barnabas, the they that are mentioned here, there they preached the gospel. That is the cause for what is about to transpire in verses 8 through 18. Verse number 8 says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. That pretty much seals it, doesn't it? I mean, all the evidences that are given there that this man's in pretty bad shape. The same person, this certain man, heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, that is Paul, looking at him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped. He didn't just stand up. He leaped and walked. God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I mean, you look here, Paul says, Stand up. And what did this man do? He not only had the ability to stand, he leaped and walked. One thing to stand up. You can stand up and hold on to people. You know? 
This man leaped up. There wasn't anybody holding on to him. I don't think they could have held him down if they tried. This man had never walked before. He jumped up and walked. Verse number 11 says, And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, some say that they, Paul and Barnabas really didn't know what they were saying because they were speaking in the speech of Lyconia. I don't know what those people spoke. I guess you know people that are Spanish speak Spanish. I guess Lyconians speak Lyconia. I don't know. And whether or not Paul and Barnabas spoke Lyconia, I don't know. Some think that you know, they didn't and they didn't understand exactly what these men were saying. And they said in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Now, if you know anything about Greek and Roman mythology, then you know that Mercurius was, was the one who was the messenger or the spokesperson. And since Paul was the one doing the speaking, they called him Mercurius. And since Barnabas more than likely was older, more distinguished perhaps, more gray hair, assumed by some to be a sign of wisdom, I have found out in my lifetime that's not always the case with older people. But they called him Jupiter. Verse 13 says, Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles, Paul, Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul, heard of, you know, there came a point where they understood what was going on here. You know, there was some excitement, and if they didn't understand the language, they saw the excitement. But then when they came to do sacrifice, they, there was no doubt. They understood that these people were about to do something they didn't need to be doing. It says they would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions. We're, there's, there's not anything special about us. We're men just like you. We're flesh and blood. We're not God. We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these things. So here he is calling their religion idolatry. You should turn from these vanities unto the living God. You call Jupiter and Mercurius gods. But we want you to turn unto the true and living God. He who is above all things. The Creator. You know, that is a... That is a word that will get you into trouble. But it is a powerful word. When you talk about God being creator, all this didn't just happen. All of this was purposed. All of this was planned. All of this was orchestrated and designed by the hand of God Himself. He molded it, He made it, and He breathed life into it. He is the creator. He's the living God. Which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Who in times past suffered all nations to walk according or walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, verse 17 says, He left us not without, or left not himself without witness. He didn't leave us to ourselves. 
in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. They had trouble keeping these people from sacrificing unto them anyway. They were trying to preach the gospel unto them, but they, they wouldn't receive it. They were superstitious people. And when they saw this lame man healed, because of their superstition, they immediately assumed that the gods that they worshipped had come down in the form of human flesh. And Paul and Barnabas had trouble keeping them from doing sacrifice unto them. I deal daily with impotent people. And you know where I work, there are some people that come in that are truly disabled. A lot of disabled people come in. They have different disabilities. You know, nowadays we've got disabilities of the mind. Um, people come in and they say they've got this or that wrong with them. They'll come right in my office and first thing they'll tell me, I want to let you know that I'm you know, this and I've got this problem. And almost to the point that you wonder, is this person you know, going to do something? You know, are they telling me this because they might go crazy or might get upset you know, if, if things don't go their way? I don't know. <laughs> but it was like I was telling Emily yesterday. Emily and J.D., they married uh, yesterday and they're probably on, now they're not on the airplane yet. They'll be on the airplane at 1.30 today and they'll be flying down to Mexico. That's where they're going to spend their honeymoon. I told Emily, I said, uh, I said, you be careful. You get down there in a foreign land around a bunch of strange people, foreign people. They see a pretty blue-eyed, blonde-haired girl. They might want to swipe you. And she said, whatever God has, you know, God's in control. I said, that's a good answer. And I feel the same way, you know, sitting there in that office. You know, that person's not in control. God's in control here. I'm not in control. I don't want to be in control. I'm glad God's in control. But I deal daily with impotent people. They're weak. They're feeble. That's what that word means. Impotent, weak, and feeble. Needing strength or power. Unable by nature or disabled by disease or accident. To perform certain acts. Like this man, he couldn't walk. But you know, I'm not talking just about the destitute and the invalid who are lame in body and mind. I see some of those come into my office. But I speak of those who are this way spiritually. And I made mention of this. I touched on this just a little bit last Lord's Day. We're talking about people <clears throat> who are lame on their feet, spiritually speaking. People who are impotent and disabled and unable of themselves to overcome their circumstances. This man could not walk on his own. And it's not any different. And if we define impotent people in this way and look at them in this light in a spiritual way, I'm talking about people who can walk upright physically, but people who are lame spiritually, you deal with those kind of people each and every day too. Whether it's in the grocery store or it's while Brother Dean's making deliveries with his fuel truck or it's while Aunt Martha's cleaning houses you know, or while Aunt Nita's working over there and, and uh, 
Waterwood with those people coming in and paying their water bill. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're dealing with impotent people every day. Paul was dealing with a whole multitude of impotent people spiritually. There was one man there, at least we know of, that was impotent physically. He was unable physically. But we deal with these sort of people each and every day. Some of these people are in our families. Some of these people we call friends. We'd like them to be more of a friend. We'd like them to be a fellow believer. But they are as impotent as some of the people that you see. Like I see there in Trinity, I see there's a fellow I went to school with. He dove off a cliff and hit something under the water. And he sits in this little chair and pushes this little joystick and up and down the road he goes. He can't walk. Spiritually speaking, there are people that are like this. And like this man, we read here that he was that way from his mother's womb. Like this man... Every one of us have come from our mother's wombs spiritually lame, spiritually unable, spiritually disabled. So, trying to create a picture of this sort of person in your mind by giving you a a physical image so that you can transfer that into a spiritual reality in many people's lives. So we picture a person in our minds in that condition. Spiritual cripples. Without the grace of God. Without the ability to see. They're blind. They can't see the kingdom of God. Like those that we read about this morning. They're in darkness. Without the strength to live above the world. Easy targets for Satan they are. The fiery darts of Satan that are hurled, they're struck with every single day. They have no shield of faith with which to quench, as the Bible says, the fiery darts of the evil one. People who are weak, infirm, cannot stand against the wiles of the devil. People who are deaf to the voice of God, whose hearts are without the love of God shed abroad in them. Who are given to vain things. They seek after vain things each and every day. They try to fill their lives with vain things. They worship vain things. They do not know God, and they do not obey His gospel. And this condition they have had from their mother's womb. As Brother Conrad told us, they're snake bitten. They're blood vessels and veins that run throughout their body are coursing with this poison of sin and death. Like he said, that are heading right for their vital organs and will soon bring them to the grave. And apart from Christ, they have no hope. 
We talked about the shield of faith. They don't have the helmet of salvation either. And you have the mind of Christ as a believer. In your, <clears throat> you know God. You, you know the voice of God. You understand the Word of God. You, you have this helmet upon your head to protect you and keep you and to assure you that, that these things in this book are true and that God cannot lie and that you belong to Him. They don't have the breastplate of righteousness. They don't, they don't have that understanding that Christ has taken our sins and given unto us His righteousness that assures and keeps my heart to know that I stand before God in the perfect dress and robe of the righteousness of Christ. That when God looks at me, He doesn't see my sin anymore because that's not me. I'm in Christ and He sees His Son in whom He is well pleased. Therefore, with me, He is well pleased. The Son whom He loves, His only begotten Son, therefore me, He loves. They have not the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to discern the thoughts and intents, and for which to strike back at the devil. They have not their feet, certainly have not their feet, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. <clears throat> you go forth. I go forth. We're light in the world. And like Paul and Barnabas here, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Where we go, we take the gospel with us. We take the news of the goodness of God in Christ and the gospel unto people that we come into contact with as God allows and opens doors for us to witness and testify unto men. But they, they are defenseless. They are helpless. They, like an invalid, like an impotent man, are utterly dependent upon someone else to care for them. Brethren, God has given us that duty. Now, Sister Louise, Till she had that blood clot get in her leg. She was a hospice nurse. She did that sort of thing physically for people and took care of them. And there's some dirty jobs that have to be done. And you know what? Spiritually speaking, we're in the same line of work. And there's some dirty jobs that have to be done. Things that other people aren't going to do. People in the world aren't going to tell them the things that you will tell them. Aunt Martha was back there telling me about a man that she knows that someone was having a conversation with and he was talking about being a Christian and the man asked him, do you read your Bible? And it struck him. You know, I've, I've read my Bible. I've read through the Bible, but I haven't really ever read the Bible. I haven't really ever studied the Bible. You say you're a Christian. Do you know what this says? I'm not talking about just the history. You know, that David was a king, that Saul was a king, that, you know, Israel is a nation, they were the chosen people of God, and these sort of things. I'm talking about what the Word of God has to say unto you and unto me. This is the news. 
we have. There's hope for their condition. There's hope for their condition. There is a remedy and cure for their disease. And you have the medicine. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. The great physician. They can't help themselves. But we can point them to Him who can. He who can administer the treatment. Who can heal them. Who can cover all of their sins with His grace. Who can draw out that poison that Brother Conrad was talking about. That venom that's in their bloodstream. That's heading for their vital organs. He can draw it out. He can remove it. He can heal their wounds and restore their souls. Restore them into a right relationship with God. We read here in verse number 9 that Paul says, as he was beholding him, he perceived that this man had faith to be healed. What created faith in this man that he was healed? What created this faith in him? Verse number 7. That's what created faith in this man. The gospel that was preached. There they preached the gospel. That is the cause of the effect of this man having faith to believe. We don't have the words exactly that Paul spoke. But we know what he did. What did he do? He preached the gospel. What happened? The man had faith. Where did that faith come from? From the preaching of the gospel. We sang this morning. I sang that hymn purposely. <clears throat> I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing us of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, and creating faith in him. But I know this. Some people don't understand how that takes place. But he says, I know whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. How do you know? How do you know in whom you've believed? How are you persuaded that he is able? Where does this faith come from? It comes from the Spirit moving, creating faith in him revealing Jesus through the word revealing Christ as our only sufficient savior our only hope our only confidence steadfast sure rock solid there's no other place to go and this man was persuaded and we might imagine as he sat there listening to the words that Paul used we might imagine him saying This is the truth. I don't know how I know it's the truth, but I've never heard anything like this before. I know this is true. I can't tell you exactly how I know that, but I am persuaded. I am persuaded that this is the truth. If you've been following along with us on Wednesday nights out of Romans, we know it's the Spirit of God that creates this in men. 
he might have said to himself, I am sure that it's true. And if it's true that Jesus Christ is so great a Savior, as Paul says he is, perhaps I might be healed. These lame legs of mine, which never have carried me anywhere, perhaps they could receive strength. I think that the Lord could do that. He might have said it first. Then he might have been further persuaded and say, no, I know that the Lord can do that. I hope that he will do that. Paul says that he's willing to do that. The gospel was preached and the Spirit moved upon his heart and convinced him, created faith in him. We don't read that Paul had any communication with the man other than through preaching the gospel. I mean, I look at you as I'm preaching. You know, some preachers just, they, they close their eyes and they look. You know, I try to look at you. I try to see. Are you, are you receiving what's being said? Are you understanding? Do you have, do you have a, kind of a, what, you, what was that? You know, okay, your face kind of squinched up. What's he talking about? Paul somehow, we don't, we're not exactly told how he perceived this, but he perceived that the man had faith to be healed. Some way that the man had been given faith by God to be healed. We're not told exactly how. Some say perhaps that God spoke this to Paul's heart. still small voice that he convinced Paul that just as the Spirit convinced that man that he had faith to be healed that the Lord spoke to Paul certainly could have some say maybe the man was, was so convinced that he was trying to stand up and Paul perceiving that this man had faith to be healed spoke unto him we're not told how, but it is sure that his faith came by the preached word through the operation of God's Holy Spirit, opening that man's heart to receive the goodness of God towards him in Christ. That's for sure. That's our hope as we speak unto men, is that that would take place. As we preach the gospel unto men, that that would happen. As we speak unto men about the goodness of God, that God, by His Spirit, as we said this morning, the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance, that God, by His Spirit, would lead that person to repentance. What was happening here? What was transpiring in this man's heart? What was transpiring in Paul as he was preaching was totally unknown and unobserved to the people around until that man leaped up. And can you imagine the surprise on their faces as this man who had never walked from his mother's womb leaped up and began walking about. Probably about as surprised as that man may have been. Because I thought about this. You know, Paul was dragged out of the city in this chapter. He was stoned, dragged out of the city, and left for dead. And the disciples stood round about him and he rose up. You know, I think, I know for sure those men who stoned him thought he was dead. And the disciples may have thought the same thing. 
And I think that this man, this impotent man here who leaped up and walked about, I think perhaps he might have been in that group. And I think he might have been just as surprised as those people were to see him leap up to see Paul stand up. But Paul had been speaking unto them about the goodness of God. The ultimate goodness. You know, if we look at it in that sort of light, like I said before, there's nothing ordinary about God's goodness, but if you want to look at it and use those sort of terms, then salvation that is in Christ Jesus is the ultimate goodness. The ultimate goodness that Paul was speaking about. In Christ, who is the Savior of men, and who has the power to save to the uttermost. Not only does he have power to save the soul, he has power to restore withered limbs, muscular structure to a skeletal structure, and give him strength, and not only strength, but ability and knowledge to know how to walk, which is something he had never done before. So we see here this faith blossoming in this man, this crippled man at Lystra. <clears throat> but you know what? It will further bloom. It, it was like, like that bud that's beginning to open. And you know what? For us, it's still, I'm talking about faith, it's still just beginning to open and blossom. It has not come into full bloom. There are things that we will go through in this life where our faith will be increased. And that, that blossom, you know, will, that bud will begin to bloom more and more towards that full blossom. Our faith will be increased and we will know more and understand more of God's goodness and His grace and His mercy unto us than we ever have before. Brethren, I, I assure you that I know that is true because it has been so in my own life. That initial faith that I was given to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ has been increased and multiplied over and over again, line upon line and precept upon precept. It has been builded and increased and further has grown over and over and over again. It has become more sweet. It has become more precious. It has, it has ripened further and it has never spoiled. It has never, it has never failed, never given up. Faith doesn't give up. Because faith looks unto a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Faith has no reason to fail. Faith has no reason to cease. Because it sees a God who is sufficient and who is able to do anything. Anything. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. How much can you ask for? He says exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. What do you see around you? He says exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. What is it that causes us to hesitate and halt? It's doubt. Unbelief. That's on our side. 
This faith that I'm describing here is like the fruit in the Garden of Eden. You ever, you ever thought about the fruit in the Garden before sin? You know, we got fruit trees around here. And the fruit begins to form and it begins to ripen. Comes a point it even falls off the tree. But for what we see, it gets rotten also. And you know what? Before sin entered the picture, there's no way, no way, that any fruit that was born on a tree would have ever gotten rotten in the garden. And that's what faith is like. It does not get rotten. It does not grow stale. It doesn't get moldy. You know, it doesn't wither up, shrivel. It's maintained by God Himself who says He will never leave us nor forsake us. It's like the shoes and the garments of the children of Israel in the wilderness that did not wear out, did not fade. You know, they didn't wear any holes in their clothes, none in their shoes. God maintained them. It's like Aaron's rod that budded. I mean, here's a stick that's cut off the tree. It doesn't have any roots. That doesn't make any difference. God calls that stick to start budding and blossoming and growing. Nothing's too difficult for God. Isn't God good unto us? Continually causing our faith to grow, increase, to match and even surmount whatever difficulties we're facing. So this man, faith was created in him by God, by His Spirit. There's a lot of people around us that are laying on the ground like this lame man. Listening to the Gospel. Hearing what we have to say about the Lord Jesus Christ being God's Son. That He's made a full atonement for all people that will believe upon Him. That are looking around and seeing other people who used to be in their condition that have received strength. I'm talking about you and me. People that used to be in their condition that have received strength to leap up and walk who had never walked before. People that may be like this man as we speak unto him, saying, I don't know how, but I believe what he's saying is true. I've never given this much thought before, but now I know this is something that is very serious. And I need to be sincere and earnest about it. I need to seek the Lord. He is the Savior of men. that that would continue to bud and blossom to where they see that He is worthy to be trusted. That their faith would look unto Him alone. That they would reach the place of dependence upon Him and nothing else, nothing that they have done. That they would have hope in Him as Savior. That they would be ready to trust Him ready to believe upon Him, to believe that He is able to do those things that we're telling them about, the good news of the Gospel, of the goodness of God.
Some people even, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. You know, where we've been in Romans chapter 8, talking about the Spirit of God causing us to cry out, Abba, Father. And, and, and giving us assurance that we are children of God. That doesn't come immediately. I was talking to this person about this yesterday. You know, there's this point, like this cripple, that they begin to see Christ. And they begin to trust in Him. They begin to hope upon Him. And they begin to cast themselves upon Him and cling unto the cross. And that increases. And they begin to assure themselves. You know? That these feelings that I have within me, these things that are taking place, this, this that, that I'm beginning to see and understand and know, this is something that God has done. I, I, I must be a Christian. Am I not a Christian? I believe. I trust in the Lord. I, I think I'm a Christian. I hope I'm a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to know God. All of these things are going on inside of them. And there comes a point as they continue on assuring themselves, I am God's. I'm, I am His child. I belong unto Him. There comes a point down the road whenever the Lord says, yes, you are mine. It's one thing, like we've said on Wednesday nights, it's one thing for me to say that I'm a Christian. It's another thing for God to testify unto my spirit that I am a child of God. It's one thing for me to say and profess to men I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have trusted Him for salvation. It's one thing for me to tell myself that, but it's altogether another thing for God to say unto your heart. I can't explain how that you hear that voice because it's not an audible one. It's something that God does within a man that strikes him to his very core that he knows and hears the voice of God saying unto him, the Spirit of God saying unto him, you belong unto me. And assurance is there in its fullness. In its fullness, it's there. But in between there, in between that, that place of its beginning and, and to that point, there comes times for some people when that ugly but comes in. And they begin to look at the things that they've done instead of looking unto the Lord. And they begin to question their salvation looking at themselves instead of looking to the Lord. That happens to people. And they begin to look back at themselves again at those lame legs. They have not the full assurance of faith. They can't say with the psalmist, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. You know, they, they might try to say that themselves, but they haven't heard that from the Lord, it seems. Not in this manner anyway. They're like the man who said, you know, they're not gonna, the faith doesn't give up. Even though they may be in that place, faith does not give up. They're like the man who said in his doubt, Christ is worthy of my trust. 
In Him alone I know there is hope. If I perish, if I perish, it will be crying out to Him and clinging to His cross. I'm not going to let go of Him. Though the devil assails me, though I have these thoughts of doubt arising in my heart, though my sins come up before me and the devil brings these things up and says, look what you've done, I'm going to cling to Him. Though these things assault me continually, I'm going to cling unto Him. He is my assurance. He is my hope. Some people have been so stunned by the grief which they have suffered because of sin and because of frightful convictions through which they have passed that while they do believe that Christ is able and willing to save them, they just can't seem to get a hold of the fact that they are saved. You know, their trust and their hope and their faith is in Christ, but all these things are assailing them and assaulting them that they're in this condition. A faintness of spirit, a languishing of soul brought on by despair. It's to that person that we say, as Paul did, there's faith there. It's to that person that we say, stand upright on your feet. Look to Christ. Your faith and your trust and your hope is in Him alone. Quit looking at yourself and your sins. He's taken them. He has paid for them, past, present, and future. Your salvation does not depend upon you and upon the way you feel. It is in Christ alone. Rejoice and be glad in your Savior. Quit despairing and doubting and look unto Him. Stand upright on thy feet. Some people still say, but I'm afraid I'm deceiving myself. Afraid I'm deceiving myself into thinking that I'm a Christian and I'm really not. It's that same condition. You're still looking at yourself. You need to look to the Lord. It's not presumption. If you have placed your hope and your trust in Christ, it is well placed. Not presuming anything there. He said if you would do so. It's not up to you. He said if you would believe upon Him that He would save you. It's on His part. It's not on your part. Your dependence is in Him and not upon yourself. It's not presumption to trust in Christ for salvation, to believe upon Him alone and have faith in Him only for the salvation of your soul. He said if you'd call upon Him that He would save you the truth is if that describes a person then they're really doubting God they're really doubting his promises they're really doubting his commitment I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day you know Emily and JD had to look at one another and that sort of thing had to trans- you know, that has to transpire between them, not in that moment, but that has to be there already. I know this person's committed to me, and I am committed to this person, and we are committed to the Lord. You know, that has to be there. 
Christ gives us his own unequivocal word for it, and you can rest upon it. It is rock solid and sure. You have his word for it. If you had to carry yourself to heaven, then I would say you have reason to doubt if you were going to make it. If I had to take myself to heaven, I'd have reason to doubt if I was going to get there. But it's not me. It's not my lame legs that have to take me there. It's the strength and the power and the ability that God gives. It's not my impotence. It's His power. It's not my undeservingness. It's His grace and His mercy. I can't do anything, but He can. And I can only do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And He has given me His promise to preserve me unto the end. That's why I'm persuaded. And if I believe upon Him, I shall be saved. No if, and, or but. I shall be saved. Not for a year. Not just for 20 years. But for an eternity. Forever and ever and ever without end. If I give my soul to Christ, if I put faith in His person as the Son of God and as the mediator between God and man, I will see His face. I will behold His face in glory. The one whom my soul longs for. I shall see Him face to face. He has loved me. He has loved you if you are His with an everlasting love before you ever came into existence. Before you were brought into this world. Before you were conceived in your mother's womb. He loved you with an everlasting love. And that love will not fail. It is an eternal love. Therefore, I would tell you this morning, brethren, I don't know what you're going through, but I'll tell you what Paul told this man. Stand upright on your feet. Don't be laying there like a lame, crippled person. You have no reason to. Stand upright on your feet. Your salvation is complete in Christ. You've been saved in time for eternity. Saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. This is the message that we have for men, for women. Those chains that we were looking at in Psalm 107 this morning. By this message, those are broken. Those who sit in darkness, by this message, under them comes light. By this message, those who are blind see. Those who are deaf hear. Those who are lame on their feet stand and walk. He's the one that grants faith. Faith comes from Him. 
Faith cometh from the Lord. He creates it in us. He established it there for a purpose. To the saving of our souls. For an eternity. Well, I had more than I wanted to bring, but we've gone over quite a bit. And I don't want to weary you either. There comes a point where you can't hear much any more of what I have to say. So we'll, it's a good place to end. We'll end there. A place to hang our hat. Something to hope in. 